I said, how many love Jesus today? That's a little bit better. I almost feel like starting the wave, <laughs> getting going in the church. Well, we are enjoying what God is doing, and we're living in peace. We're allowing God to lead us. And you know, you don't have to rush things. You don't have to be upset or con concerned about world events or the things happening around us when you simply live in the peace of God. And uh, church, that's what I want to challenge you to continue to do. Live in the peace of God. Allow God's peace that bypasses our understanding. Guard your hearts and minds. And then you can handle each and every week. And this has been quite the week here in America. And yet I know God is not done. I am hopeful. I'm excited about how God is going to lead us and he is going to do it well. Last week, we began our series called Set the Table and talked about the value of Jesus bringing his kingdom, his climate to the earth. You see, Jesus wasn't on the earth just to show up and just to die on a cross and just to be risen from the dead. But while he was here, he showed a better way. He spent his time showing a different way of thinking. You see, Jesus didn't come and try to be a part of this government or that group of people. He didn't align himself with various categories of the, the culture of his day. He paused and he led the way and talked about the kingdom of God. And he established a value that while outsiders were welcome, that hospitality was to be a very important principle. And the table was important to Jesus and he sat down for meals with people and he would eat with them, and he would spend time with them, and he wasn't in a hurry. Of course, we had Jason Griggs here, the owner-operator of the Chick-fil-A in Coon Rapids, and uh, man, what a great story about the hospitality that Chick-fil-A has kind of led the way with, and of course, they talk about eye contact with the customer and smile. Everybody smile at me. A smile is contagious when you smile. It has an impact on other people and how we're supposed to speak enthusiastically and stay connected to others and allow ourselves to get in a true conversation. And if I were to take one takeaway from the first week of our series, it would be this. Everyone has a story. They're more than a face. They're more than a name. They're more than a political party. They're more than a group of people that may not be like us. They have a story. In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I know you have a story. <laughs> but there has perhaps never been a more important moment or opportunity to heed the Lord's call for hospitality than this week. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all... Hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Practice what? Hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. We are to practice hospitality. It's something that is to be a value for those that are in the church, for those that follow Jesus. And by the way, as we are in the middle of an era, this week I have not seen more divisiveness in our country than I've seen in a long time on Facebook, on social media, on the media side of things, in the general media. And there's a lot of divisiveness, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of fear. 
And we have people in our church, I love the fact that God has called Emmanuel to be a part, a church for all nations. That he's called us from every walk of life and different vantage point. That on a Sunday morning, we have people in our sanctuary that are various political perspectives. I love the fact that many of them are able to experience different things and still worship together. But listen, there's never been a more important time for us to think biblical and to look Jesus' way and to consider, how do I make it through this time? This week, I had many people that I know that are of our church that have, were excited about the results of an election because in their mind and eyes, they saw it as an opportunity for justice and for biblical values and, and the unborn. And there may be some aspects of that that are true. And just as many people on the other side of things were concerned and worried, I have people in our church that are part of our Hispanic ministry or part of other parts of our ministries in the church and they're first generation immigrants and they're concerned about their family being split up, sent away, and they're living in fear. And as a pastor, I pastor it all. I pastor everybody. And you know what? I'm not afraid because the house of the Lord that should be a sanctuary for all of us to come and find hope. And the word of God is living and active in 2016. And it will help us make our way through this. So Jesus sat down in Luke chapter 14. We dove into it last week if you go there with me. And he begins to share the story of a great banquet that invitations would go. It says in verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses, and one said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. <laughs> Selah. The servant... The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. And so his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be what? Full. So there is a story that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a great banquet. This is a preview of what many would call the marriage supper of the lamb, the day when we all get to sit down, we're face to face with Jesus and the bride of Christ, which is the church of Jesus, is in heaven, we're one with him, we're connected to our savior, we're together. So Jesus knows that is coming. But it's also a table of invitation in the present tense. And that God's kingdom is available today. That it's available to everyone. And that we can all commune and connect with the promises of God in this day. It's not just future tense. It's also present tense. And Jesus begins to describe how this dinner has been prepared. It's ready. And so at a table... All of the table is set up. 
It takes a lot of work to put together a dinner table. That you, when you're having guests over, the plates are set, the placemats are out, the, the cups are clean, and they're at the table. And there's food, and there's, there's drink, and there's available uh, utensils, and there's opportunity for it to all kind of come together. Somebody has to do a lot of work before a guest comes to the house. Jesus describes it, that the banquet is ready. Now it's an opportunity to go and invite people to come in. And there's a kind of a hosting, a hospitality ethic that is at play when Jesus is talking. Just this past Friday, Jody and I had the privilege of going over to Paul and Jenna Kelly's house with Dr. Lori Dykstra, their staff. And so that's our executive team, actually. And we got to go over to the Kelly's house. And as Jody and I pulled up in front of their house in Maple Grove, we got in and got, walked up to the front door, and they were waiting for us. They greeted us at the door. And how many know it's a good idea to greet your guests at the door? Not just ring the door and yell, come on in, you know. So we were let in. We felt welcomed into the house, and it became abundantly clear to me that they had prepared for the evening. The house was clean for one. I'm not sure if it's clean all the time or not, but it was clean. They have little kids. How many know little kids leave big messes? And then uh, the kids were there, and they came and greeted us, and the music was playing, candles were lit. We went into the kitchen. We had the opportunity to talk a little. They asked us, would you like anything to drink? And I said, of course, I'd like a coffee. And, uh, or, and then we had water. And we, I mean, there, there was an opportunity to converse and they were attentive to our needs. And then eventually the food was ready and it was prepared hours before, but it was finally ready for the moment for us to eat dinner. And Jenna called us into the dining room and we walked into the dining room. And Jenna knows that, how many know if you go over to, and there's a group of people, it's awkward to know where to sit. And Jenna said, you're gonna sit here and Jody sit here and Lori sit here. And she had already made the decision for us to take the pressure off. And so as we sat down, then we prayed, and then we were able to begin to eat the various parts of the, of the, of the meal that was prepared. It was delicious. Then we had dessert, which Lori had brought in, and that was really good as well. And, and one of the things that I know is when we left that night after a couple hours of conversation around a table, Jody and I both looked at each other, and we got in the car and said, that was fun. We felt good after having been at the table or in the house with the Kellys. Jesus is describing that he wants to have that kind of experience with all those that would be guests. And so the invitations are sent out and he wants them to know. There are place cards with people's names on them. Today you've been given cards. In fact, you can pull those out and, uh, and then we'll use them in a little bit later in my message. But I want you to consider the fact that first of all, you and I, our names are at the table. How many are thankful for that? That Jesus has invited us and we have a place in the family that we're welcomed into his family. What a beautiful thing. And then Jesus, as he's telling the story, he says, Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant out to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Now the banquet is all prepared, 
But without any guests, without any invite, it's a waste. In fact, without an invitation, the preparation is wasted. Without that invitation, all of that work goes to naught. And so Jesus is telling a story that includes the invitation as a part, an important part of his story. If people are going to come into the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, I get the banquet ready, but my servants bring my invitation. How many of you are considered Jesus' servant? Hmm? We are the ones that bring the invitation. He sets the table. In Romans chapter 10, there's a great verse, set of verses that I love related to this. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Romans says it has to be sent. It has to be heard or else no one embraces it. And of course, it ends with the feet of the messengers is blessed. You know why it says that? It's not because they have more beautiful looking feet. Hello. I probably have ugly feet. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The reason it says that is because they didn't have email in those days. Hello. They weren't sending a Snapchat message, an invite on Facebook. What they were doing is they were literally going out and walking and handing the invitation face to face. And because they walked, the story of the messenger was blessed. When you are a part of Jesus' story and you go and you invite people to the table, you become one of those that is blessed. How beautiful are your feet? In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you have beautiful feet. <laughs> now this story moves on. The invitations go out and the first crew that received the invitation rejected it. So you're the messenger, you tell them, they say no, and all these excuses come up. They began making excuses, it says. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife. I can't come. And what I was describing is normal, everyday parts of people's lives. Answers to prayer were blessings, were preventing them from saying yes. I think we all need to be careful and concerned about our own blessings, the things we pray for to get a, a marriage or a house or stuff. And our stuff can cause us to give God excuses. Isn't that true? We need to be aware that those things should never prevent us from being at the table. But if you're the one that's going out and inviting and you get rejected, many people are like, I already tried it once. I'm not doing it again. I had tried to have people over to my house for dinner. I, I, I invited them. They said no. I don't want to be rejected again. But the way Jesus describes the story is that the, the master essentially says, I am mad. It says he's angry, actually. But I am relentless because then he sends his servant to go out again, overcoming the fear of, eject, of rejection, 
And like concentric circles, the kingdom of God keeps moving out to more and more people. He's not done until the whole house is full. So he's going to continue to reach out to more and more people. What does it say? Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. And so his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. It's interesting, the groups and categories of people that Jesus talks about. He talks about going to the next layer. If your inside circle won't come, then go to the next group that you may not hang out with ordinarily. And once they come, there's still room, so you need to keep going. The kingdom of God is relentless. Did you know that the kingdom of God, the love of God, the passions of God are relentless? God's not done reaching the people around us. And on top of that, the way Jesus lived, Jesus was interested in forming a diverse team. Think about the disciples, the people that are in that Last Supper portrayal, right? The disciples, the team, was not like each other. On one chair was a tax collector, somebody that worked for the government. And in another chair on the table was a zealot, somebody who wanted to overthrow the government. He had fishermen and doctors. His table represented a whole bunch of diversity, people that saw the world through different lenses. In modern day, it would be a Democrat and a Republican at his table. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Somebody that's wealthy and somebody that's not. Somebody that's, the, the thinking that Jesus had was revolutionary. He put it together in such a way that he was not insecure about people being at the table that had opposing views. Some might think, well, Jesus, you should have only got one type of person at the table, and that simply would not have reflected the heartbeat of our Savior. See, what everyone at the table did have in common, they were all sinners. For everyone has sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And when they got to the table, the one at the table named Jesus is the one that made the difference. I love what Karl Barth says. It is always the case that when the Christian looks back, he is looking at the forgiveness of sin. Anybody here that could be at the table that doesn't have sin? No, we all do. And we are on the same page because we are all sinners in need of the same Savior. That's why we're at the table. This invitation that Jesus is talking about is far more than about a meal. In fact, the good news of the kingdom of God is about a whole bunch of things. Let me give you just a few of them. First, it's an invitation to the newness of life. The opportunity for transformation where every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. There's an opportunity for us for a new chapter, a new page to turn. Secondly, it's an invitation into freedom. So if the sun sets you free, Jesus said, you are free indeed. The kingdom of God offers freedom to those that will come. Invitation 
Number three, an invitation towards depth. Depth in relationships. I like to think that there's a progression in relationship. When we walked into the Kelly's house, they met us at the door. It was kind of chit-chat language. We hadn't gotten into the warmth of friendship at that moment. We were just getting connected. Then they led us into the kitchen. And then when we sat at the table, eventually the relationship turned. And we were talking about warm things. We were on the same page. Did you know that the kingdom of God is a progression? That just because somebody gets saved doesn't mean they think like a Christian yet. And those of us that are further along in our maturity and understanding the word of God, we need to understand we didn't get there quick either. And we have to extend grace to those that are in relationship with us and not expect them to think like we do yet. I'm starting to preach, aren't I? Perhaps Jesus' table has a, an ability, a flexibility for us to grow in our depth, not to be strong right off the bat. Remember when I worked at North Central, there was a person on our cabinet that he and I were at opposite ends of almost everything we talked about. And I made it my goal to get to know him and understand him. And over a long time, multiple years, a friendship formed. Even though we didn't see the world the same way, the friendship was stronger. There was depth to it so we could still love one another. You and I have to understand that the kingdom of God, once it goes in us, it's not instant. But over time, we have the opportunity for more and more depth in not only knowing God but each other. Fourth, it's an invitation to the table. What do you mean an invitation to the table? Jesus practiced something called table fellowship. Anytime that he would go meet with people, he would spend time talking to them over dinner at a Pharisee's house or spending time with others and they would sit and they would have table. They would have a meal. They would grab coffee. They would do something together. Fifth, it's an invitation to openness. An invitation to openness. What do you mean by that, Pastor Nate? I mean Everybody has a story, and once we're at the table, it's an invitation for you to share your story and for your story to be heard by someone else. Turn to the person next to you and say, I want to hear your story. That's what the invitation is about. It's, it's broader than a single event, this banquet that Jesus is talking about. It's more than an invitation to church or to a church service. It's an invitation to meet with you, to meet with me. See, who will you invite to lunch or coffee and hear their story? Because it's about you, not the event. It's about connection with you, a long-term conversation. Jesus, when he looks at his church, he evaluates our obedience, the obedience of his followers, and, and it Invitation is a part of his criteria. Are we giving the invitation or not? Look at Matthew 25. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. See, Jesus considers invitation to be a part of discipleship. Without an invite, nobody is coming to the banquet. We have a mission statement here at Emmanuel, and the first part of our mission statement is we are empowered to reach those away from God. 
And by the way, that doesn't mean that we are empowered to get people to come to our services. That when I see the world, I see the church. I don't think it's shepherds that reproduce sheep. It's sheep that reproduce sheep. Our strategy for reaching the communities around us is not by having a better service. It's by our people being more engaged with the people around them. You are the ones that reproduce. It's your life. It's who you are and who you are, not just on Sunday morning, but who you are in your everyday life. And our strategy for the people of Emmanuel to fulfill our mission statement to reach those away from God involves two things. First one is invest, and the second is invite. For you and I to invest in our prayer life and in our relationships in the world around us, and then to invite people to join our story. That may eventually include Emmanuel or our ministries or our events, but it for sure includes you and your friendship, even if they don't come to our church. You are to invite people to yourself before you invite them to a church service. You are the church. The people will trust you in a very real sense. You are the secret sauce. That's what you are. You're the secret sauce. As I look at our church, I realize that we have a challenge, and our challenge is that we have not been in the habit of reaching outside of that first circle of rejections. We've stopped reaching out and being relentless like Jesus reflects. Church, you and I need to be people that bridge the gap relationally to people around us. Not just go to work with people, but to go to lunch with them. Not just to hang out with them at a ball field and on the team practice field, but to invite them to relationship, to be connected. And when it comes to church, to let church be a part of that story as well. There was a study done this summer nationally that said this, 67% of Americans say that a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. And 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. Why aren't people in church? Because we are not inviting them to church. Or we're stopping at the first rejection. So I want to introduce to you something today, and it's called the Sit With Me Challenge. All right? There's all kinds of mannequin challenges, and a year ago it was ice, book cha- or, uh, ice bucket challenges. Well, this is the Sit With Me Challenge. And it's an invitation to me. An invitation to you as an individual. It's come over to my house. You you are, like I said, the secret sauce. Come with me to church. I'll sit with you. I'll go out after with you. I'll be with you. It's not, come to my church. I'll say hi to you from across the room and go about my business. No, people don't come to church because they trust the pastor already or they like a service. They come because they trust you. And as you sit next to them and you're interested in their story, not lost in your own holy, 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 holy song, you're aware of your neighbor and you're connected to them, you're able to establish trust with them so that they want to come back. Your friends will come to church when you invest in them and you say, come or sit with me. See, the invitation to God's house is not about the program. It's about encountering God. And as you encounter God and he's walking with you, so will those that you spend your time with. 
Never stop inviting. Are you aware of the people around you that need to be a part of the kingdom? Do you think about the circles around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, the city that you live in? Jeremiah 29, 7 says, seek the peace and the welfare of the city. You're like, I don't know who else to invite. I don't know who I would go after. You, may, you know where you could start building friendship with, inviting for dinner or going out and hanging out with? Start with your contact list on your phone. You have a list. You have people that you are already building friendships with. They're already there. Take the next step and invite them in. Invite them to be a part of your story. Now, everybody grab your cards now. I want you to consider something. Whose place card are you holding? Who needs to be a part of the story of the kingdom in your life? Maybe you need to begin to write names on there. People that you can pray for and invest in before they ever come to church. Maybe you need to build the friendship of who are those people? Today, I'm going to invite some people to my table that are a part of our church already, but to represent what I'm talking about. First of all, I'd like to say, can Lou Hughes please come? Brother Lou, come on up here. I have a seat for you right here, bro. Right next to me. And is Rochelle Studer here? Rochelle, if you could come as well. Lou, you're right here, bro. Welcome to the table. All right. I have a table for you. And then, well, Velado, are you here as well? All right, come on up here, bro. I got a seat on the other side for you. All right. They have no, like, drama acting parts or anything in this message. But they do represent the fact that we are around people all the time in our world. And when it comes to inviting people, people that care, that Jesus cares for, there also needs to be the opportunity for ongoing. What if our table gets full and we get to know each other? There's still room for empty seats. We're always wanting to leave room for more and more people and to be relentless at the table. And when it comes to what happens when you're at the table, one thing I want you to know is you don't need to be insecure. Well, what are they gonna think about me? Or what are they gonna try to talk me into? When you're in Christ, you don't need to worry because you're not a threat. You're not a threat. You're not a threat to me. Why are you not a threat to me? Because Romans says that nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of Christ. I'm safe. I'm okay. I need to be curious about your story and to listen to what you have to say. But we don't have to win an argument. Are you hearing me? Who's right? Who's wrong? Finger pointing is not a virtue, church. Don't point the finger, pull the thumb. Think about yourself. Allow God to test your own heart, but I don't need to convince you that you're right or you're wrong. I just need to hear your story. And then Jesus does miracles. Arguments separate, but Jesus brings together. And he does a miracle. See, Jesus takes 
people of opposite opinions and experiences, and he forms the beautiful body of Christ. That's what he does. Today, we're going to receive communion together, and I'd like our host to begin to distribute the elements. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go ahead and receive the communion today. If not, feel free to let it pass by. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive the communion today. Let me just say this. If you've yet to give your life to Jesus, if you're in a place where in your heart or your mind, you're away from God, the invitation is now sent to you at this moment. And if you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you to him right now. And I want to do it even while the plates are passing and everything. But if you're here today and you know I need to give my life to Christ, I want to lead you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. In fact, I want you to pray with me. Just pray this prayer after me. And everyone else, you can join right in and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. For dying on a cross for my sin. For raising from the dead. And I know you're alive. Today, I choose to surrender to you, to receive your forgiveness, and to become a follower of yours. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.